Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. One of my least favorite type of Bible studies to go to is the kind where people open up the Bible, they read a verse, and they go around the circle asking, well, what do you think this verse means? Imagine if we were going to the operating room and I would be sitting in there watching you get operated and the doctor would come up to me, well, Brian, what do you think this utensil means? And what do you think this utensil is used for? Or imagine if I were to go into the body shop and there your automobile is and your transmission just fell out and, and the, the mechanic walks up to me and says, Brian, what do you think this device is used for and how are we going to fix this transmission? Obviously, I would have no idea about anything in either of those rooms. And just in like manner, imagine somebody who knows nothing about the Word of God, has not spent much time studying the Word of God, diving into a passage and trying to give their theological analysis of what's going on in the passage. With that in mind, we come to this chapter of the Bible. But I want to draw your attention to the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter number 16. You see, in this chapter, we find that this is speaking of the great tribulation in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But in John's gospel, chapter 16 and, and verse number 33, we find Jesus said that in this world, you are going to experience tribulation. And there have been some to go to John chapter 16 and verse 33... And try to say that the words of Jesus are speaking about the great tribulation in that passage. However, that's not the case. That is not the case at all. The, the word tribulation in that passage means the trials that we're going to face in our lives separated from the word great tribulation that we're studying in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 12. Today I want to teach you a word. It's called hermeneutics. Would you say that word with me on three? One, two, three. Hermeneutics. Say it one more time, please. Hermeneutics. This is a technical theological term that means methods of Bible study or how to properly study the Bible. You know, there's many ways you can study the Bible. You can study the Bible by characters. You can go in the Old Testament and look at all the characters and you can study each character. You can just take Adam and then you can go into every verse of the Word of God from Genesis to Malachi or from Matthew to Revelation and read every reference about that character. You can do that in the book of Genesis. You can do it all in the Torah, historical books, all the way through to the book of Revelation. Then you can study the Bible by events, like the flood of Noah. The flood. You can go into Genesis. You can study just the flood there. You can go to the New Testament and some of the other passages. You can read it and study it and see what the Bible says about that subject. You can study the Bible by sections, by the Torah, by the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets. In fact, in our Sunday school with Brother Joel, we're going through the minor prophets. And specifically, we're going through the book of Jonah. So if you weren't in Sunday school today, I want to encourage you to come to Sunday school so you can study some of these things. But nonetheless, you can go to the Gospels and you can study the Gospel records. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can study the history of the early church in the book of Acts. You can study Paul's epistles and you can study Peter's epistles and John's epistles. You can study them by sections. You can also study the Bible by doctrine. You can say, well, hey, what about end times Bible prophecy or eschatology? Eschatology is the technical theological term for end times Bible prophecy. With all that in mind, we come to this passage because we're seeking to understand 
what the writer is writing, who he's writing to, and how it applies to us today. Remember, whenever you come to a passage of Scripture, you need to always ask who, what, when, where, why, and how. And everything, especially in the Bible. The key theme in verses 1 through 12 is apostasy. And before the great tribulation takes place, there is going to have a time period in the world where great apostasy will be prevalent. Now, whenever we study the Bible, we need to understand that sometimes we can read our lives into the passage. And we can come to this passage, we can go to the other passage about the last days, and we can say, oh, that sounds like today. Just because it sounds like today doesn't mean it is of today. However, I believe that what we are seeing today in our lives is the beginning of the great apostasy that's going to lead up to the time the Antichrist will be revealed, speaking of this passage. Today, I want to label my thoughts with these words. Do not waver when apostasy is in the assembly. Do not waver when apostasy is in the assembly. I believe there is a prescription for the problem of apostasy. I believe there is a penicillin that can diagnose the disease called apostasy in our world today. I believe there is a cure for this apostasy that we are beginning to see rise up in our world today. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me share this with you. The antidote for apostasy is the message of Calvary. Whenever somebody goes into the cross and studies about Jesus' life, his death on Calvary and his resurrection, that is when you can experience revival and then you can lay aside all the mumbo-jumbo stuff that's being said today in our world about apostasy. The word apostasy, it literally means to be leaving and departing from the body of doctrine found in the Word of God. In fact, and you, you begin to study uh, Paul's letters to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter number 4. I believe it is the Holy Spirit's commentary on 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 dealing with apostasy. And it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, that means the last days leading up to the coming of Christ, that some shall depart from the faith. It says they will give heed to seducing spirits. It says they will give heed to doctrines of devils. It says they will speak lies and hypocrisy. It says they will have their conscience seared with a hot iron. They will forbid to marry. They will abstain from meats. And the Bible speaks about these situations. And yes, it does sound a lot like today. Today, I want to share with you three thoughts about apostasy. And before we dive in here, I want you to understand that these 12 verses is dealing with a correction in doctrine. You see, Paul's writing chapter number one, and he writes a personal commendation to the believers in Thessalonica. Chapter number two is all about doctrinal correction. And here he is correcting them some of the ideas that people have come into their areas. They started teaching different things and diluting the word of God that was brought to them through the mouth of the Apostle Paul, Silas, and Timothy when they were there. And the second coming has two phases. You have the rapture of the church and you have the physical bodily return of Jesus when he steps foot on the Mount of Olives. And they misunderstood some of the details about this event. And now before 
you begin to go study Revelation or the book of Daniel or Ezekiel or some of the other places, Matthew 24, some of the other areas in the New Testament, Old Testament about the second coming of Christ and about the rapture and about his return, you need to understand that this passage says what is not said in many other places in the scriptures. In fact, in reading these 12 verses, you will not find some of the details in any other place of the word of God. Now, with all that in mind, I want to share these three thoughts with you. From verses 1 through 5, whenever we're dealing with apostasy, we should not waver in our faith. So I wrote down this first thought. Do not waver by the deception of apostasy. As I read verses 1 through 5, that's what I wrote down. As I read verses 6 through 10, I wrote down, secondly, do not waver by the destruction of apostasy. And as I read verses 11 through 12, I wrote down, thirdly and finally, do not waver by the delusion of apostasy. Will you come with me as we take a trip through the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God? In verses 1 through 5, I wrote down this first thought. Do not waver by the deception of apostasy. Do not waver by the deception of apostasy. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says in verse number 1, Now we beseech you. This word beseech, it means to earnestly and intensely, intensely beg someone. And so he says, now we beseech you. Remember, if you go back and look at verse number one, he says, Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy is writing. And he's, each of these people are writing. And most likely, Silas and, and Timothy were helping Paul in the writing process. And it says, now we beseech you. Speaking of those three people, brethren. He's writing to believers, men and women of the household of faith who trust that Christ as Savior and who are seeking to live their lives according to his command. We are beseeching you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me pause right here and just share this with you. This is free, okay? You don't have to pay me for this, this comment. But no matter what Hollywood wants to believe about Jesus' second coming, he is coming. No matter what the TV says, no matter what the radio says, no matter what the internet says, Jesus is coming again, church, because his word says so. And then it says, and by our gathering together unto him. This phrase is referring to the rapture. Now, you know as well as I do, the word rapture never occurs in the Bible. And you have uh, the, the theological Pharisee saying, well, the rapture is not found in the Bible, so I don't believe in the rapture. Come on, man. Grow up and read the Bible. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, they're caught up. That word means rapture, up, out of here. And here, by our gathering together unto him, is the same phrase that we study the rapture for. So say, you say, well, Brother Brian, how do you know you believe in a pre-tribulational view of the rapture? Well, I believe this verse is one of the strongest evidence for it as we're studying the book of 2 Thessalonians. You see, they're understanding Jesus is coming again, and that they're going to be raptured. So they had questions. They said, well, Brother Paul... Jesus said that in this world we're going to have tribulation. I thought you said that we'll be raptured out of here before we'll experience tribulation. He said, no, no. I was referring to the great tribulation that's going to be unlike this world has ever seen before. We all experience trials and tribulations in our life. Not speaking of the events that are going about to take place in this section. And so he had to correct the doctrine that was being questioned and taught in that area. Look at verse number two. Here's where I get the title of my sermon. Do not waver when apostasy is in the assembly. 
Do not waver, my dear friends. When some of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ or their so-called brothers and sisters in Christ say at one time, Oh, I believe the Bible, but now I just cannot accept the tenets and articles found in the Scriptures. It says that ye be not soon shaken in mind. It doesn't matter what old so-and-so says about the Word of God. Listen, it does not matter what anybody says about the Bible. The Bible remains true. In fact, God does not need me. God does not need you to defend His Word. In fact, Martin Luther said, the Bible's like a lion. Just let it loose and it will defend itself. Do not be soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now this phrase, the day of Christ, is literally referring to the time when the Old Testament prophets looked into the future and they talked about a day coming when the Messiah is going to come and place his foot on the ground and judge the world because of its sin. And then verse number three is where we get to my first point this morning. Do not waver by the deception of apostasy. Let no man deceive you by any means. Would you say deceive with me on three, one, two, three? Deceive. Say it one more time, please. Deceive. Here he commands, and he says, let no man deceive you by any means. Somebody may come, and they might be able to speak very eloquently. In fact, they may never uh, 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 stutter like, uh, like Moses did in the Old Testament. They may never trip over their words. They may, they may say everything right, and it may be very pleasing to your ear. But if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, do not believe it. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, speaking of the day of Christ at hand, speaking of his twofold return, that is, the rapture of the church, and the tribulation starts, the great tribulation, and then his second coming at the end of the great tribulation to establish his earthly millennial reign that will last for a thousand years. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, That the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. I wrote down this thought. The deception will be caused by the son of perdition. In other words, all of the apostasy that we're beginning to see right now, this moment, this time. In fact, in fact, I, I could not believe my ears the other day. I was in a pastor's fellowship meeting. And this was an interesting pastor's fellowship. There were Baptists there. There were all sorts of denominations. And I'm not going to mention the denomination that, that, that was present that I was talking to because I don't want to call out anybody. I don't want to mean like I'm being mean to anybody. But, but nonetheless, I was sitting there listening to this guy, and he said that he does not believe in the full inerrancy of Scripture. And what that means, translation for all of us hillbillies, <laughs> and what that means is for all of us rednecks, that the Bible is not necessary without error. Now, I don't know about you, but the book that I'm holding in my hand right now is the infallible, inerrant, inspired, preserved word of the living God. God breathed these words, and they are without error because it is the word of God. Amen. And today we have all these different ideas coming in from people saying, well, just because the Bible says something doesn't mean that's actually what's going to take place. Well, the Bible may, may not be every word of God, and, and the Bible may not be meant to be taken in a grammatical, literal interpretation, as you were talking about, Brother Joel. Well, maybe it should be taken allegorical. Maybe Jonah was an allegory. 
Maybe, maybe the creation was an allegory. Maybe the cross was an allegory. Maybe this is just the whole book full of allegories. Listen, no, no, no. Are you kidding me? I was born tonight, but it wasn't last night. I've read the Bible maybe not as many times as you, but I've read it more than once. And I understand that the Bible is the word of God. And it all stems by what somebody believes about this book. You see, the devil knew that if he could get somebody to doubt the word of God, then eventually they'll deny the word of God. And then they'll try to destroy the word of God. I do not doubt the word of God. I do not deny the word of God, and I do not want to destroy the word of God, because it is the word of God, and in it we find salvation. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So this deception that's taking place now is all leading up to the time when the Antichrist will be revealed. I believe all the nonsense that's being taught today is a simple result of the predictions found in the Word of God. Doctrines of devils, Timothy said. Seducing spirits, he said. A departure from the faith. When I was in high school, I heard an evangelist say that 75% of young people who grow up in a Christian home after their first year of a university, in a secular university, will depart from the faith and never come back. Now that was, I heard that like over 10 years ago. Imagine what you think this, the statistic is now. In, in fact, let's just take a poll. How many people are here today who are under 35 years of age? <laughs> just a handful, including myself. I also wrote down this thought as I read verse 4. I wrote down, the deception will cause people to oppose God. The deception will cause people to, to oppose God. This word oppose, it means to completely go against God, God's word, and what he stands for. Aren't we seeing that today? Aren't we observing today that you can walk into any university you can walk into any university, not just in the United States, but all over the world, and the majority of the young people there oppose God and oppose God's word. This Antichrist will begin to lead in such a, a manner that, that this apostasy will lead up to a direct opposition to the words of inspiration and to the God who deserves to be exalted. And that opposition... I believe, will result in a false exaltation. It says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is as God, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I wrote down, The deception will cause people to oppose God, and we're seeing that right now. From, from every direction you look at, every direction, every field of study, People are opposing God's word, but I submit to you today that it remains the word of God in the midst of the apostasy. And see, not only is, is the apostasy taking place in the world, it's taking a place in the church. There are denominations, mainstream denominations, who do not believe this is the word of God, who do not believe Jesus' words were the, the words that we should live by. And today, I'm standing in opposition to that philosophy and to the apostasy today. 
I don't care how many friends of mine that I went to high school with who think I'm a crazy quack from the 1800s. I don't care about that. I'm going to stand where God stands in his word. The deception will cause people to oppose God. But now, check this out. I wrote down this down as I read the last part of verse 4. The deception will cause a refusal to worship God. During this great tribulational period, there's going to be a host of people who will refuse to worship God. All based upon the Antichrist, the apostasy leading up to the Antichrist, and his opposition to God, and him seeking to be worshipped as God. Listen. I don't care if Donald Trump, the president himself, walked up in here. If he said he is God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise up and I'm going to say, Listen, sir, I don't care how deep your pockets are. I don't care how powerful you are. You are not God. It doesn't matter who the person tries to say they're God. But this guy will sway the entire world. And he will march into the temple that... Is beginning to get in place and to be rebuilt today. We're seeing the beginnings of all of that right now in the Middle East. And he's going to sit there in the temple and demand people to worship him as if he is God. Do not waver by the deception of apostasy. But now may I share with you the second thought as I read verses 6 through 10. Do not waver by the destruction of of apostasy. Do not waver by the destruction of apostasy. Look at verse 6. Or excuse me, verse 5. It says, remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you all these things. He said, listen, can't you remember that when I was with you, I, I preached to you? He was there for about 30 days, we believe, and there he preached the word of God, and there he taught him about these things. And why he taught them about eschatology or end times Bible prophecy beats me, but he sure did. And look at verse 6, it says, And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, time does not allow us to get into the details of these verses, but I'd be glad to some other time with you. But look at verse number 8. It says, And then that wicked, speaking of the same person found in verse number 3, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, he will be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume. Now, we'll get to that in a second. But now listen, I want to just pause right here and, and let you know that, that I was a freshman at Liberty University. I went there for my freshman year. And there I was in a dormitory, and, and this, this, this crazy dude walks up to me, and he says, I know who the Antichrist is. And I said, well, who's the Antichrist? He said, it's Barack Obama. <laughs> I wanted to go to Walmart and buy a stamp that had idiot on it and place it on his forehead. <laughs> and then a couple years ago, I heard people saying, Hillary Clinton is the Antichrist. And then I heard people saying, Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Listen, man. Just because you may not like the political offices or who's running doesn't mean you can call them the Antichrist. <laughs> People thought Hitler was the Antichrist when Hitler was alive. People thought everybody and then some was the Antichrist. And he will be revealed in his due time. But I want you to know this, that the Antichrist will seek world domination. That's what he will. In verse number 6, he is going I believe, to seek world domination. Why do you think he wants everybody to worship him as God? Why do you think he wants to conquer the world? And, and by the way, just food for thought, a lot of people think that since the devil doesn't know exactly when the day of, 
of the rapture will take place or the second coming will take place, that, that he, is raising, he, he is raising up people who could fit the description of the Antichrist so that the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of Satan can dwell in them. So some people have said that that could have been Hitler during that era. And some people say that could have been different people throughout the library of time. That is a theory, and it can't be taken for certainty, but nonetheless, some people have ascribed to that. But I will know, and I want you to know that he will seek world domination. Then I want you to know this, that the Antichrist, his work is a satanic attack against God's will. This is the devil's, one of his last chances to sway the world so that they will not be able to go to heaven. And he will do that. But I want you to zoom in on verses 8 through 10. I like these verses. It says that when this Antichrist will be revealed, it says that the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. I'm thankful that we serve an omnipotent, all-powerful God who can destroy somebody as powerful as the Antichrist by speaking. I took a mental note of this about God. Don't mess with God. <laughs> Don't mess with God, church. Don't mess with God's world because when he speaks, the mountains are formed. When he speaks, the world comes into existence. And when he speaks, the Antichrist ceases to exist. Do not waver, church, because of apostasy. Do not waver by the destruction of apostasy. Do not waver by the deception of apostasy. But now I want to share with you verses 11 through 12. Some very sobering and debatable words found in this passage. I wrote on this thought. Do not waver by the delusion of apostasy. Do not waver by the delusion of apostasy. Yes, apostasy is going to come. Yes, apostasy is present. And yes, apostasy is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse as time goes on until the great tribulation. But I want you to know this. That all this, by the way, is leading up to the, the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to do all this crazy stuff in there. And then, I believe that this verse, 11 and 12, I believe, after studying it, is referring to those during the Great Tribulation period. It says, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The delusion is a result of rejecting the truth. Let's go back into the Old Testament. We find Pharaoh was constantly rejecting the word of God. Constantly, time after time after time after time, he rejected God's word. And finally God said, I'll tell you what, you want a hardened heart? I'll give you a hardened heart. You can have a hardened heart. Then in Romans chapter number 1, we find that, that people, they, 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 they lay aside the creator and start worshiping the creature. And then after a series of events, the book of Romans says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. It's not my place. It's not your place to say who has a reprobate mind. Because when you read that list of sin, all of us are in there. But we find that eventually, God will give people over. After they continually and continually and continually and continually and continually and continually reject the message of the gospel. So what's the meaning today? It's this. That if you're not saved, today is the day of salvation. There is not always tomorrow. And you need to get right with him before it's eternally too late. 
The delusion is a result of rejecting the truth. I wrote on this, the delusion would rather believe a lie than the truth. Can you imagine? Somebody would rather believe a cold, dirty lie than the honest truth from God. And then as I read verse 12, I wrote on this, the delusion results in eternal damnation. The truth is found in God's word. In fact, the truth is found in Jesus Christ and his gospel. And if you reject that truth, then you will spend eternity separated from God in a horrible place the Bible calls hell. Apostasy is here, the beginning of it. But do not let your faith be shaken. Do not let your faith be wavered by it. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.